with a game plan. Double X sell up in the paint, you can't shake that. All the way against the full tank, man. Moving too quick, keep the cameras in the playback. Dang, tell me how you feel with it. You put a lid on it, I ain't got no chill with it. This right here, your problem, you gon' have to deal with it. Head on the line, high risk, that's the meal ticket. Get them off us I'm 24-7 in the office Pay attention cause I ain't repeating offers Yeah, never met a man I've been scared of Careful, you gon' get exactly what you asked for Here for whatever you bring me, get in hand Or I answer to no one, I don't need to hassle Can't 
Thank you for uh, Mr. Bird uh, for making sure that the court has been peaceful and uh, nobody's got out of hand. If I would have known that you would have been here, I would have got my uh, Judge Judy uh, background and wig on. But unfortunately, I, I didn't know you were going to be here. I thought you were going to be a baseball game. I'm um, sorry. I'll make sure I uh, get that for next time. All right. So basically what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to bring in the crew here that is here that doesn't play uh, baseball. Uh, let's bring in. Uh... Hello, Josh. You're gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna unmute you. There we go. There you go. Go ahead. Thank you. No, well, thank you for having me. How are you? What's going on? What's new? I feel, no. I feel out of my element. I'm not gonna lie, but we'll, well see how it goes. That's what we brought you here for, just to be that guy. So we, we got to have one of those guys, and you fill the, you fill the, the void for that. Glad I could oblige, my friend. Glad Ooh. I could oblige. Uh, so I'm also gonna bring in. We had him on before. Uh, this is hauling cash, uh, which is now right here. Let me add him to stream, and uh, let me pull that back here. Nice. Set up your camera at a side angle. Going with the glasses. I see the resemblance. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to. I'm trying to Ray Charles right now. I'm trying yeah. to get my zone. Yeah. We <laughs> just so everybody knows, um, cash is a vet. So I was talking a little bit about the situation that we have, but I won't go into that because we'll, we can save that for a whole nother show. Um, and the new one, I'm going to bring him in. Let me turn his mic. Uh, this is Rob. He is a CDN freight broker. He is um, first time on my show. Uh, I've met him on other shows. We talked to him a couple of times. And he is a uh, freight broker out of Canada um, that basically moves a lot of you know standard freight. So what I wanted to kind of do is have everybody introduce themselves that hasn't been here. So we'll start with Rob. And then uh, we're going to talk a little bit of freight brokering and a little bit of trucking. Rob looks like the type of person who would walk me through a, a very meticulous type of like Dexter style murder. You know, okay, now that's what you're going to do is you're going to lay down the clear plastic mat. Well, I'll I don't have that fancy mic like you guys. So <laughs> comes to freight. I'll tell you what, he, he is that. So, um, but we will make this show. And we'll see how many truck drivers call in and bash brokers. Uh, so we brought a carrier with us so we, they can't bash us too much. So I'm gonna be doing this a lot. You know, just so I can get a horn honk. Beep, beep, you know what I mean? 
good job. See, I knew I brought you for a reason. So, Rob, why don't you go ahead and uh, kind of fire away, introduce yourself, and uh, tell everybody what you what you kind of do. Yeah, so my name is Rob. Uh, my handle is the CDN Freight Broker. I'm an agent. Um, I don't really discuss what company I'm with because of the contract that I have and so forth, but I do share I'm based in Canada and Alberta. I do move freight within Canada to the U.S., within the U.S. I've been a freight broker for this is my 15th year. I worked 10 years prior to that for Coca-Cola Bottling. And uh, prior to that, I worked at a uh, community college in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, after I graduated from the University of Alberta. So Alberta boy through and through. Wow. When you worked at Coca-Cola, uh, were you doing something similar in the way of uh, trucking or was it kind of completely uh, unrelated? No, a little bit of both because I started out in food, in food service sales. So I was selling to the malls. And uh, then I grew quickly within at Coke. I had a really great run. I had an excellent set of mentors and literally about every six to eight months, I was getting promoted to different roles. And so as I progressed, I started in the small, but when you're working with Coca-Cola as a sales rep, either you're an account manager, developing accounts, like securing restaurants, uh, taking over like, you know, like where the Edmonton Oilers played, I was, I looked after that account, you know, big, we call those key accounts. Plus I looked after restaurants and I switched restaurants from Pepsi to Coke. And then that's cool. where you're, you're in the sales side of the world. But then I also jumped into where you're an account manager. So you're actually literally going store to store, placing orders, selling the store, upselling it, managing the inventory for the stores with the owners. And then I moved on to the bulk channel, which is like the grocery side. Now that really got me into the tying in with the trucking because I was a bulk account manager. And then I actually moved out to a small area uh, near the Rocky Mountains to look after that territory for Coca-Cola. So I lived out there for a couple of years. And when I was out there, that's when I really dipped my feet into the trucking side because I wasn't a driver, but I had two drivers, I had two trucks, I had a service person, and I was responsible to ensure that I maintained the fleet as far as the maintenance goes, what Coca-Cola standards were. They had the, the, the A maintenance, the B maintenance, and I had to fit that into my timings of my deliveries. Um, I did learn lots about things like, you know, I'd be in one town and my driver's calling me, the tailgate's not working, and I, I did learn how to hotwire it and so forth and give them some tips and tricks along the way. Um, and uh, so that, and then also when I came back after being in that small town for a couple of years, came back to Edmonton, I uh, became a bulk manager, the, the district manager for the bulk channel. So when the big volume for all the grocery stores came in, that was, I had a team of six that I managed. And so when the big volume had to go out on a, you know, long weekends, Christmas, I was, you know, filling 53 trucks, going to grocery Yay. stores. So I had to work with the distribution team to manage the volume, how many trucks are going to be going to, to manage this, to prevent, you know, reduce the overtime and all this. I worked with them a lot. And it's interesting because even though I was never a trucker, trucking's kind of been around me because my dad, my dad was a trucker. And he, he, if you ever, anyone knows Jasper, Alberta, he hauled the first piece of steel for the Jasper tramway way back in the whatever 60s or something like that and he worked for various things uh trucking as a kid you know he was the guy wearing the cowboy boots and he would do his night shifts and various shifts and then later on in life he got a job with because of his class one uh, that allowed him to stay in town and uh, and then what ended up happening he had a friend that was a heavy haul salesperson for ford so back then ford was selling trucks and my and he would hire my dad and he'd fly him out to different cities in canada to drive back brand new trucks. So he would go to Toronto. So he took my mom one time and drove us across the country. He drove my mom across the country. He took me across the country. And the funny story about that one was I was about 14, 15. We're in Toronto. There's a heat wave going on. 
last day we get there and the truck wasn't ready. So we had to sit in the hotel kind of hanging around, but there was this heat wave where, you know, it was so hot they had to rotate the air conditioners. So <laughs> the last day we're leaving and all of a sudden we're supposed to be leaving and all these good looking girls are walking through. Turns out there was a stripper's convention, <laughs> but, it, but I, but I missed out, you know, it was 14, 15 and we were leaving. So, but uh, we had to, you know, we bobtail. I was listening to my yellow Sony Walkman, listening to Motley Crue going down the highway. And uh, yeah, it was great. Got to see the countryside and, and got a little exposure for trucking from, through my dad in that regard. You you made you just made uh, the question I asked you look like it was so prepared. Like you had such a thorough answer that I feel like, yeah, well, I'm glad I asked that question. I just learned so much more about you in that little instance there. That's awesome. Thank you. Holy crap, dude. That's a that's a you know, that's it's interesting how things progress sometimes. You know, you, ne- you never know where you're going to land. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're like. You're at Coke and you start to you kind of start to find yourself like, oh, you know. Well, more- it's funny how you said that, because when I went to university, what I went to university for, it was actually a friend of mine that went to university with us in the same program. And two years after working in my field that I went to school with, he got a job there and he says, you know what, Rob, I think you'd be a great fit. And sure enough, I was. And so we, you know, we both left the field we're in because there was better opportunities there. That's awesome, man. Nice. So, all right. Of course. Here's what we're gonna cash, right? We gotta ask cash, you know, his like we're gonna we're gonna go into cash because cash has got an interesting one too there. So fire away, cash. Well, you just wanna know who I am? Allegedly. (laughs) Uh allegedly. Yeah. No, um I I got into uh I got into service in the military, uh then got out of that, went into uh trucking because it was just something cool to do. Uh dad did it for a long time, so I uh, got into that, went through the uh, formal training of school and all that junk, went to a mega carrier, drove for them for about a year and a half or so, um, ended up looking and transitioning into livestock, worked at a hog barn and cattle barn for like three or four months, working my way just to even learn how to handle the things. And then uh, ended up transporting them all over the country, doing that for a while, caught the license on fire, melted down the whole building. Um, had to take off and, uh, take a little bit of time away from driving. So I was overseas contracting and then, um, did some, did some, uh, sales, some cold call sales down in Costa Rica. That was fun. And then, um, got, yeah, go ahead. What burned down? You just oh, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, when your license catches on fire like that, it's, it's melting in your wallet. I mean, I, I had ticket after ticket after speeding after this, after that, I see. um, and then, um, yeah, I did some sales down there in Costa Rica for a while, went back on contract, um, got back into trucking, um, got into hotshot, did that for a while. I've done in dump stuff. Um, and then um, I was overseas contracting when my wife basically told me to come home and uh, came back, opened a business, damn near went bankrupt in the first six months with brand new equipment and then had to recover from there. And then the very next year turned at about 60,000 in revenue to about 1.3 million. And then we've jumped. We'll double this year. We'll double next year. Um, so we're just we're we're getting going, but it's it's been you kicking the ass to get there. So it's, you sound like you're on the Shark Tank. What's 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 what are you trying to what's your what are you trying us to invest into? How much? Yeah. How much oh God, nothing. Get out nothing at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I give him two percent. No, um, and just everybody knows mine for, for um, and I've been in since I was 21 years old. I got my CDL, drove over the road, came back, drove local. Um, Went to the Coast Guard, left the Coast Guard, start got back into the truck, uh, bought my own truck, joined, uh, drove for Landstar. Um, we came in Landstar agent, was a million dollar agent Landstar, left Landstar. I, actually, they 
tossed me out because they said I opened up my own brokerage and they said, you can't have your own. Well, my wife was the agent and I was the one for the broker. And they said, you can't do that. And I said, well, I'll see you later. Uh, left Landstar and basically been running my own brokerage since I think 2011. Um, and then I you know, moved on to over specializing in overdimensional freight because that was the, for me, the, you know, quality over quantity um, and been doing it ever since. And I'm still doing it now. And then Does of course, anybody in your family uh, do freight. Or, or do trucking has that my dad was a truck driver uh he for for three guys it driver. seems trucking like you know like i was just kind of like noticing that like it does kind of run in the family you know that's pretty cool well i think it's one of those things that once you um like a father or something and you they kind of tell you you need you should get this license because it never goes bad it's always going to be needed unless you light it on fire um or you know melt it melt Cash. it melt it like somebody that's on the panel <laughs> and go bad. It eventually it cools off and, and can fit back in your wallet again. Um, but it's, it's an industry that it's the largest industry in the world. Basically logistics covers everything from military to, you know, food and everything else. There's logistics about it. So truckers are the biggest, um, they uh, uh, are the biggest industry that listens to talk shows too. Like, you know, listening to like Sirius XM, Howard Stern, Opie and Anthony, Opie and Jimmy, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on. Like, a lot of their time is killed by listening to like, you know, chat shows. You see how he left us out? You see how he left my channel out of that whole list? That he was News. Oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> so what I basically wanted to do is talk a little bit because we talked, we did a show um, that I, I went over everything from, you know, getting your tr license and getting into being a company driver um, and, and moving up to being a lease driver, moving up to being an owner operator. Now I want to kind of talk with you guys in, a lot of people will jo will start their get into this industry and get their own authority as a truck driver, right? They go out and they get their own authority, and then they say, "Okay." And although I believe, you know, I I do feel if you're going to go to the step of getting your own authority and not leasing on to someone else, then your goal is to get customers and and create a business. That's that's kind of what they the the thought process is for getting your own carrier. The net, that step in the U.S. at least, because you can't broker freight without a brokerage, getting that brokerage, right? So we talked about to make that move from lease driver to owner operator, you better know sales, right? You better have some knowledge. But to make that step to say, okay, now I want the brokerage, that's like stepping up to super sales compared to just, hey, can I move your freight? So I kind of want to talk about what, what, if you're, if somebody who's, wanting to possibly make that move and say, Hey, I want to get this. I want to do this. What should they expect? Like what that first thing, what, what skills should they have and what should they expect to be able to make that step to be able to use that brokerage, not just kind of have it in their back pocket, but be able to use that brokerage. Um, so I'm going to start with, with Rob, I'll let you fire away. Well, I would say actually, you know, before an owner operator jumps to that, the decision to even go and get that brokerage, I think you really have to make sure that like cash seemed to come in, like he mentioned that he was doing cold call sales in Costa Rica. So right there and then, now that's a great blend because he has a skill set. He's coming in with trucking and with sales. So he's a very small percentage of the drivers that come out here and able to do so. And why I say that is because I see too often that a lot of drivers are excellent drivers. They know everything they need to know, whether they're a van, you know, flat better. They know how to strap and secure loads. They know how to do everything as far as that goes. But when it comes to being a computer savvy, 
communication savvy, um, being able to talk to different people at different levels within an organization is really critical. And also, I think before you make that decision to jump, not saying that you shouldn't make the jump to having a brokerage, but you need to ask yourself the risk reward. What if you were to make kind of like our screens are right now, we've got four squares, right? You've got high risk freight that may equal high reward, but there comes with pay, there comes, there could be a cost to that, i.e. melons in the produce season, right? Hauling a, you, you book a carrier, it's not a vented van and they don't, the shipper forgets the check. <laughs> what do you get? A bad, a bad load of lemons, right? Or melons, sorry. So you take what's, what's the, if, if for someone new coming into this industry, the things that, you know, is, a, you know, someone who would guide them to say, unless you're have super great experience, the first three commodities to avoid is steel pipe, lumber, and produce right off the hop, because those are high risk potential. Well, lumber is low, low reward financially, but high risk. Um, and very demanding pipe, high risk for claims. You get some shippers with wet pipe and the procedures involved. Um, it's tricky. It can be, and then same thing with hauling coils. Coils can be okay, but you really got to get your, you got to have your feet solid in the ground. So that's why I always think if you've never, uh, selling is one thing, but if you've never managed an actual account base, sold something, um, and you're, you've always just driven, or maybe you worked in the manufacturing and you got into trucking or however your background is. But if you're not a, a decision, if you're not a person that resolves conflict in your history, if you've always been the guy, like you were a foreman and you managed 20 guys on the floor and you decided to leave that field to get into trucking for something different, that's a different story because you managed 20 different personalities. And if you did that for multiple years, yeah, you could become a broker because you have skill sets to manage problems. Right. When you're a foreman at a factory, <laughs> that's all you're doing all day is you're managing problems and solving problems. So it all depends on your skill set you're coming in would determine where you go with that brokerage. Right now. And, and this is a good point, because me and Cash had a conversation um, <laughs> when he started opened his up. Cash, what what was your ask when you came in? What was your thing saying, you know, um, expectations of it when you jumped in and said, hey, okay, I'm going into this side now. This should be no problem, right? <laughs> I wish. I mean, you know, it's uh, to be honest. I mean, part of the um, part of the learning process for me going into taking on the brokerage was really the eye opening side, because, um, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the only difference between any phase of this industry is just ignorance. And it just takes a little bit of education of you understanding what that side is to gain knowledge on what that side is. And then you start seeing the full picture. But um, yeah, no, when I first when I first opened that, I mean, it was I had an expectation of probably left field. And then I ended up getting smacked back to home plate and shown the dugout to the right. And I'm like, uh, OK, this is, you know, it was a it was a, a big eye opening experience. But that being said, going from a from a carrier, if a carrier was to go in to be a broker, um, you have to have a specific set of goals or reasons as to why you do that, in my opinion. Uh, being a broker in general, which is where I see the most problems that people have when they come into it, is they come in from no experience. And then it's like, well, look how easy this is. I found out how I can open this online. I'm going to go get my bond and I'm going to go to the races. And then you start talking to folks and you can kill your name 
in a matter of a, a phone call, five minutes and somebody gets your email down. And if, if that phone call that you had was completely garbage, <laughs> then, then, you know, then that name's off the list permanently. You know, when you call in that name, that email, like, Oh, you're the guy I called last Tuesday. Yeah, no, we're good, buddy. Thank you. Um, so well, I, I mean, say, yeah. Well, I was going to say, see, just because you're a broker, it all depends where you're going with it. And I equate it this way. I could go and open up raw, a subway. Okay, and then cash can go open a subway. My goal is I'm going to open my subway. I'm going to work it every day. I'm going to order my stuff. I maybe hire a couple of staff to accommodate my rushes at lunch and the supper rush. And I do that day in, day out. Cash, on the other hand, he comes in, he runs one. He learns how to do the business. Then he goes to subway and he buys a second franchise, a third and a fourth. And then what he does is he, he hires the best manager he knows to operate those five for him. He's overseeing the big picture and he has managers at each one that he has handpicked and trusted. And then he has a another layer between him and those stores, and he's a business owner versus, versus a business operator. So that's the same predicament with an owner-operator. If you go out and you wanna become an owner-operator, why are you doing that, first and foremost? And what's the long-term gain? And so just like a broker, if I wanna go out and become my own broker, there might be specific reasons, but if my goal is to get a broker, I get a handful of customers, and really, my ultimate goal is not to have a bunch of customers and be busy booking freight. My goal is to actually hire three or four agents so that they'll give me the residual income and I manage the brokerage. How you approach being a broker versus a brokerage, even though you're both the same, is completely different because you're constantly recruiting new people to build your brokerage. But then when you're doing that, you're also taking on the risk and liability of you have, to, if you start getting two, three, four agents, one person cannot be the full back office. I don't care how automated you are. You're going to need some agent support for technical stuff and for setting up the new agents. You're going to need an AR and an AP, whether that's one person or two people. You're going to need either an outside lawyer, but someone really close to you to help you with when, when your agent goes to a shipper. Because I can tell you, I know numerous shippers. There's one that was a great opportunity for me, but they have this massive contract with lots of terms and clauses and conditions that a lot of carriers if i presented it to them a lot a lot of drivers would walk away from that business and so our legal my legal person has where there's certain clauses they don't like and you know we're working back and forth and it's a very slow process because we were going along and all of a sudden that comes up and there's many shippers that have this and so it's not as cut and dry as one would believe so i think like if you're coming out of you, whatever sector you worked in, say you're working in a warehouse in a certain industry, say paper or whatever the industry was, and you'd been there for 10 years and you, you go to the boss and you say, you know what, I'm giving my resignation, I'm becoming a trucker. What, you're going to be a driver? Well, we'll hire you. Oh, really? Yeah, well, we'll get yourself going and then come and see us. And then all of a sudden you have an in and you get that business. That's a whole different story than you've never done it before. And so maybe the other thing to think about, Sage, is you know, like we always, you're always talking about owner operators to go out and get their brokerages, but where's the conversation of brokers going out and getting trucks? Because well, that's within, I, with, within our agent, within my brokerage, there are agents offices that are agents and they own trucks. Right. So where I'm going with this is that if you're an owner operator and you really want to get into the brokerage side, you can go do it yourself. You can do it the same way where you become there's I can I can think of five really, really good, including our brokerage that would be willing to sit down and talk about that opportunity. 
And the other way that you can start it is if you really have that, you could probably, if you have a small broker that you know and trust, you could probably work something out with them at the beginning saying, hey, I got these customers. Can you help me build them up? You know, work out a commission deal and eventually they can become yours. But there's a lot of steps that you can do to help mitigate this process because there's a lot to take on when you're starting out. There's a lot of steps that if you don't follow it properly can, can bury you pretty quickly. Right. Because that's what I did. And just so everybody knows, about 90 percent, um, because I've done, you know, through factory, because I have a factoring company, like my factoring company, which I offer a factoring deal, handles all my finance. Right. They they handle they pay the carriers. I, they handle all that for me. Um, but about 90 percent of brokers never move a single load through their brokerage. 90 percent will never move. They'll sign up, they'll get it. And 90 percent will never move it. So when I opened up my brokerage um, and got my customers and stuff, I actually got at that point, once I got some customers, I got a carrier. So I actually opened up a carrier after my brokerage and then I fed my freight to my carrier and to my drivers. Um, I had three drivers, but then I also went out and built trailers specific for my customers freight. Like they haul tanks. I built tank trailers. I went out and got a step deck that used to haul. Um, it used to be a um, curtain size step deck and it w- it had a two foot deck height and the wheels popped up. Um, the wheel wells popped up way up into the trailer and I cut those at an angle so that that could haul like step deck freight at two foot, which was a monstrous, you know, d- deal. A step deck at two foot with a 40 foot bottom deck. I was able to haul a ton of freight. So that's another aspect to this is that I, I, that's how I did it. I went, got the customers, was moving the freight, got the carrier, got the drivers. And then one of my drivers, brother passed away and he left. And I just, for the type of freight that I moved, it was hard to find drivers to do that. Um, But you were in cash, you were a driver. And then basically just said, okay. And then leased operated and you went through those steps, correct? Well, I mean, I leased on, I, I leased on when I came out of uh, overseas contracting, but when I was doing cattle, I was booking all my own stuff anyway. And it was like, man, I, I already know what I'm doing here with the booking of the freight and working with different brokers. I mean, obviously they're in a different line of, of goods, but it's the same thing. And so when I leased on, what I noticed very quickly was all of the things I was never going to do as a carrier. It was, it was blatant. I mean, it was nickeling and diming and, 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 and a constant just wear and beating down every little dollar they could out of you. And that business shortly after I left went out of business, they've been in business for 15 years, but they've been ripping people off for 15 years. And the internet finally caught up to them enough where reviews were already ahead of them. Their name was already projected out. You know, they were trashed before they even hit the door. Everybody knew who they were. And so, uh, but you know, going from my own carrier, uh, it was very apparent once, once I went down in the first six months that I absolutely had to hire drivers. There was no way to offset risk if you don't hire other people. And then the brokerage was kind of an afterthought, but the brokerage was, and has been very useful in the sense that, um, you know, I have third party guys that we dispatch. We have other guys that we can actually pull in some carriers that we actually know. We trust them. We, we control the asset kind of inadvertently through the dispatch. So it's, you know, where you have that power of attorney, but you're not technically, they're not leased on to you. So they're, you're, you're dispatching them. You're handling all their accounts. You're handling how they're being dispatched and all the emails that go back and forth between the broker. 
And if you're going to bring in a client, an outside truck outside of my carrier, I'm going to bring in one of them because I know them. I know their truck. I know the equipment. I know the driver. Right. And where, like you were talking about how the brokers just never move freight. A lot of times it's just the lack of picking up a phone. I mean, I've, I've won customers on the way to lunch. You know what I mean? Just by picking up the phone, looking in my area, looking what was around, getting a hold of the shipping and receiving department and discussing what they had and what the problems are. And letting them talk to me while I'm having my, while I'm transporting or, or moving, you know, to lunch or whatever. So if it's a 45 minute commute to a restaurant or whatever we're doing, I just sit there, get on the phone and say, Hey man, tell me about your problems with shipping. Tell me what problems you're having with your receiving. And I'd let them just kind of ramble on. And it depends on who you get, but a lot of them will tell you instantly, Hey man, I've got a problem with this. I got a problem with that. I got a problem with this. I got a problem with that. <laughs> and it was just a matter of understanding what their problem was and knowing what the resolution could be and understanding where their problems were stemming from and then finding that resolution. That's really all it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a mass majority of people that get their broker's authority and they probably never will use it. Um, and, and then, you know, God forbid, you don't know enough about trucking. You don't vet the person pulling the freight for you. You don't know the guy that's calling you. That's actually trying to double broker your freight. Um, you don't know the guy that's, you know, says he's got two trucks and his insurance is great, but he's actually showing you a fake insurance certificate and it's, it's, you know, cropped and it's Photoshopped and it's whatever, you know? And so, uh, there's just a lot of pitfalls that if you're not, if you're not aware of what those pitfalls are, you'll find your, you know, you'll be face down in the mud before the day's over. I mean, all you brokers do is pick is, is just call, you know, go to a customer, take money from the driver and then put it on the driver's load. That's all. That's it. That's the entire business of brokering. You call a customer and you say, Hey, can I quote your freight? And I find a truck and I'm done. Right. Isn't that what we do? That's everything. Oh, yeah. I want to oh, take, I'm going to take it all from you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the goal. Full story. Yeah. I got a question that uh, maybe all three of you can answer. Uh, but Rob, you mentioned early, you know, some of the, you know, the, uh, the worst things to deliver. Uh, so to speak. And I was kind of wondering, and I'm going to throw, you know, some newbie questions out here and there. I'm not going to ask them all at once, but what are some of, uh, you know, what do truckers look forward to delivering? Are there any specifics that, okay, I can't wait to deliver this. Cause you mentioned like a few steel or something like that, as far as being like, not good, you know, what are some good ones? Uh, for good freight, I would say, um, I think drivers like when they go to a facility loading brand new, like say a brand new load of Bobcats, something brand new because it's shiny and new right. and it's right. worth a lot of money and there's pride with that you're driving you're not hauling junk down the road on the back of your trailer mm. um if you go into a trailer a load where the shippers are organized if they you know if drivers have been around the block and they're not just jumping around the country chasing loads but if it's an area they know and they know the shippers because that's what happens if you become a driver and you're in a certain areas or certain states you kind of know certain shippers, they're notorious for being long loading, taking too long to load, or they're, you know, they always overweight. They always put you overweight and you got to go to scales. You got to go get, go back, get it reworked, even though you told them that you're overweight. No, no, go scale. And then, you know, there's a whole process. So the more that you make life easy for a driver, it really, it can com come down to commodity, but with drive and freight, they don't actually see it. It's more about the ease of, the totality, job. the whole totality of the whole job, picking up, you know, unloading, whatever it may be, driving it. Right. And some drivers, and that's, you know, that's why sometimes some drivers, they drive because they want to drive. They don't want to be dealing with problems and sitting at, you know, job sites for hours, waiting for cranes, 
things that so that's why you it, it really comes down that's what's unique about this industry there's so many ways to be a part of the logistics industry it's not just trucking right. There's warehousing there's intermodal rail there's the drayage of that of those containers you know there's cross docking where you know sometimes you pick up stuff from a freight the containers have to get de-stuffed and then it gets segregated out to you know to the truck and then it gets distributed to different points you can do multi-picks multi-drops you got seasonal freight how do you want to run your business do you want to run super hard for months and then take time off do you want to run hard all year long there's a lot there to to take in and that's why getting into the brokerage side as cash mentioned mentioned all those pitfalls if you're coming in without a bit of a mentorship Someone, even if you're, you, you do what Sage does and you go and you get your owner operator, then you go create a brokerage. Now what? Well, if you don't have someone to walk, if you've never been part of that full process, even if you can sell, if you know how to sell and win people, that's only step one. Your execution, if you don't go in with the mindset that if this load could be my last load, you're only good, often in the world of shipping, you're only as good as the last load. You could book, you could move 20 loads for a customer and the 21st load, there's problems and the customer calls it, it, you know, all of a sudden you could be in their bad list as fast as you were in their good list. Right. And, and of course the risk, the risk reward that goes with that as well. So that's why you have to, there's a lot of, uh, it, it really changes the elements. And I think cash can attest to that, that, um, and he's also doing the brokerage a little different. It's not like he's, from the, from what I can tell, like obviously I don't know you well, Cash, but from what you're talking, I get the sense that it's not like you're out there calling companies all across the country trying to find their freight and move it for them. You're using your brokerage for a specific, you know, aspect of your business versus. So that's why I think we're sage, you know, the, those that are you know thinking, hey, I should get my brokerage, but you have to understand how does that you know fit, fit with your current business plan, because before you jump to that. You need to ensure that your trucking business is running on all cylinders because if you add that to the mix and your trucking is still struggling well now you got two major struggles and it's 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 towing not just a horse but you got a whole team of horses behind you dragging you that you're dragging behind that if you don't you know so you gotta you gotta go in sequence and how you want to do it right in layman's terms uh what just like you know what is a brokerage just you know so i can understand that a little better the F, the the federal government, the FMCSA, the Federal Motor Carrier Association, uh, basically said, "Hey, if you want to be able to move freight, if you want to be able to go to a customer and take their freight and put it on a truck, you have to have a freight brokerage." Okay. Now, I never take possession of the freight; it's never my freight. All I am is the middleman, basically, for that aspect. To but now that's that's the gist of it. Now. The big picture of that is customers, you become their logistics department, which means it's not just me putting it on a truck. It could now for the customer's aspect, I I can do all kinds of stuff. I might be doing their cross docking. I might be hooking up with freight forwarders for overseas and all this other stuff. But for me to be able to, to work that middle man with, with a customer and a truck, I have to have a freight brokerage or be a freight forwarder, but that's a different, well, that's a different story right now. Think, think real estate, think real estate broker. I mean, yeah. okay. you know, it's not the person buying the house and it's not person selling the house. It's just the person in the middle helping that transaction move smoothly. Makes right. sense. Now Makes sense. the, the worst freight to deliver is damaged freight. We all know that when it's damaged, that's I, I, any driver never wants to deliver damaged freight. That'll be his, oh, I knew that. Okay. Uh, and then the best freight for me is oversized. I, 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 
I think that's the best freight. Uh, the drivers that I do, uh, that I work with, love doing that. And if you're an oversized driver, you want the biggest, you want to do the, the challenging freight. That's how they that's how they look at it. But it's a different breed of trucking that they step up into. Uh, so the, perfect, the perfect scenario, Josh, to help put it in perspective is this. You wake up in the morning, you've got a couple customers, the customer calls you, they got a load of um, maybe tables. Okay, they're they're a rental, they're a special event rental company. So they they bought a load of tables from some supplier. You get a hold of one of your carriers, you negotiate a rate, the pickup time, the details. The truck shows up, the shipper loads the freight on the truck, they give him paperwork, driver drives down the highway, however far it may be, he gets to the place, maybe yes, we have to make an appointment, maybe we don't, and they receive the goods. We trust everything was received, no damages. They sign the paperwork as good and received. A driver hands the paperwork back to you along with their invoice for their services. You pay the carrier, you invoice your customer, and they pay you, we're done. You can then relax and enjoy life. That's, That's the real simplistic yes, cycle of it. I now, see. the whole path, it, the, there's a path of freight that goes from uh, raw material, uh, manufacturing, distribution, retail, your hand. So with those paths, freight is constantly traveling in and out of those paths. In you know, inbound freight, outbound freight, customers have, and the and you know, how do they get it? Where do they get it from? It that's where it becomes messy. But that's the simplest one, is what he did. And then to see the next level to help put in perspective of a global when you hear about, you know, China and other countries and, and international shipping, I'll use dog food. Okay. Why dog food? Because it starts globally. Right. The, the oils that they use to make the dog food will often come from England. So it comes by ship into United States or Canada. And remember, this is an FDA, Federally, Federal Drug Administration followed because it's all coded. They know where it's come from. And this can apply to many foods, but they bring, you know, these big four, you know, these big four foot by four foot by four foot vats of oil or other oil related products that they use for making, that's the starting point of creating the dog food. So all the ingredients for dog food is actually labeled it's dated and documented because if you bought some dog food from a pet store and then your dog got sick unusually, and then the vet says it seems to be with the dog food, you can call your you call the pet store or you call the 800 number on the uh, actual bag and they actually trace it all the way down. So if you're involved in the world of, of animal food, whether it's horses, dogs, cats, when you work in that world, if you're going to be cross-loading the freight, you have to know the warehouse. If there's other dangerous goods there, you cannot cross-load it there. It has to be a food-grade quality facility. There's a lot of steps in place so that if something happens, that they can, they have to be able to trace back every time it was touched by which parties and when, so that if there was contamination, they can source it. And we so that, that's the type of thing. A lot of steps in there, and that's where it gets a little bit complicated. So that's where you go from the raw good of the oils and all the raw ingredients before they make the dog food that come to a facility. So you're you're in their shipping that brings the goods in there. Then the facilitators, you know, they're also buying equipment for the manufacturing. So there's all the stuff regards to the the you know the, the actual manufacturer. Then they start producing it. Now this finished product has to get shipped to stores and distributors. So there's all kinds of trucking and packaging labels, all kinds of stuff in between there that's needed. Right. And then you got your, you know, the distributors who are distributing it to the pet stores and eventually to you guys. So that's when you look at it, it turns it into a full global logistics. 
You right. know, that's interesting. Uh, you're talking about animal foods and like dealing with animal foods because I deal with animal foods uh, because people call me a disgusting pig or a fat cow. So I'm always, wow. always eating animal foods. Apparently. Did you have a date and timestamp? That was rough. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not sick yet. You can tell them if you're not tagged, that ain't true. But <laughs> yeah. How dare you? We just found out that tracing is important with the baby food situation, uh, the Michigan plant that was shut down. Right. So that's now they have to go. You know, that type of stuff. Now they're following stuff back. Now they're taking they took forever to do it. And there's a whole bunch of other problems there. But that's the type of stuff that that could be shut down and, and things that will happen. And, and this is where, like I said, cash, when, when you came in. This was you wanted it to kind of find customers that locally and grab your moving on your freight. But I, I I can remember conversations that you were not a fan of in the, in the early on that we, we had to hammer out because, and get you to the point of more of a logistics person than just a driver. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, your, your perception of what a, a broker <laughs> does. And I will say this, let me, let me caveat this by, by pre precursor. So the precursor being, if you work for a massive brokerage, and you sound like you're 22 years old and you just came out of college and you don't know your, your head from a hole in the ground. And when I ask you, Hey, what's the commodity? And you go, uh, it looks like, uh, well, it could be, uh, I think it's, uh, I'm automatically off the phone because <laughs> you know, that person doesn't know what they're moving. That person's looking at a list and that's just a guy that's trying to fill, you know, a void. Um, but I will say from the from the from, so from the standpoint of a carrier looking at that and talking to those folks, oh, you would think brokers are just, you know, the kid down the street with a freaking cell phone and, and a laptop who's moronic enough just to put it on a truck or, or negotiate a rate. But now, I mean, and, and with time, it, you have to look back and see exactly where that broker comes in and, you know, you're not going to get a, a dog food manufacturer to understand every facet. I mean, one person at that dog food plant doesn't know everything. The same thing with the next person at the dog food plant. So they have somebody they go to, right? Bill goes to Bob, Bob goes to Fred, Fred goes to Sally, Sally goes to Josephine, Josephine goes to Dale. And, you know, everyone has their little step in there. And then when it comes to that logistics, moving that freight back and forth or understanding the laws or the totality of what's going to be involved in doing such a thing, um, or even trying to put a price tag on it. There may be not only one logistics professional, but several that are working in, in unison. And so once you see that as a carrier on that side, it's eye-opening because then you realize how insignificant you and your truck are um, in the grand scheme of things. Because it's very easy as a carrier to get extremely jaded and feel like, you know what, man, we're going to shut it down. These dudes are done. They're not going to bump these rates and we're going to shut it down and, and they'll eventually they'll have to. Uh, not really. I mean, it's well, <laughs> to your point, Cash, I think that one thing that is misunderstood, especially amongst a lot of drivers, they show up, the dispatcher gives them a load. They show up at some warehouse and there's two docks. So they think, oh, it's just a tiny little warehouse place and they get loaded with some stuff. And one guy, one guy, one girl is the loader. They load the stuff in the truck, they give them paperwork and leave. So they think, ah, what's the big deal? They may not know. <laughs> that there's 25 people behind there that they'll never see that are all part and part of those. Like there's, you know, mm. there's buyers. Cause that's, you know, when you start getting into, depending on what commodities, you know, like for example, right now, if you go to a Lowe's or you go to a, any, any kind of store like that and you see all the summer patio furniture, 
Well, that was ordered a year and a half, a year or more ago. And it came in from various places. You know, it, it started shipping a year, and a year and a half ago. Like it didn't just happen overnight. And when you start getting into all kinds of different commodities, um, you get into, think about our gas companies are all around the country in every state. The gas that we take for granted that turns on and keeps the air conditioning or the heat going along with the power. And there's all those underlying, you know, the plastic, uh, you know, rolls of plastic that are used to put underground to put the wires and, the, and different things through. Well, there's, there's a whole world above the world of trucking that there's buyers working with their suppliers with ongoing inventories of what they're going to need for the spring season when they're doing all their construction and installation, right? There's, when you're building any road construction, they're ordering their materials, the raw materials they need for the tars and stuff months and months. Like cities are planning that in their budgets a year and a half, two years ahead. So there's a thousand ways to get into this industry. And that's the, that's the exciting part. But I think you, what you hit on the nail is that one, often the people who are above in that top layer of the logistics chain where they're the ones starting the whole process, they forget sometimes the end driver. And then sometimes the end driver forgets about all the people above that. So just know that, Josh, imagine this. You've ever, I'm sure you've seen it on a movie. You've seen it on a poster. That image where you see a freeway with, you know, that blurred lights where all the cars are flying down the freeway and that blurred lights. Right. Logistics, all of us here, we can't service everyone. There's not a company big enough, but we're just like, we pop in to that fast. We're moving fast and we pop out. We pop in, we pop out. That's keep that because we're all in these little pockets like there are some people that do clear across the country they're going from seattle to florida or from you know new jersey to seattle or new jersey to california but there could be going from texas to north dakota but majority of the time it's in chunks it's in right. it's in quadrants and chunks um and then we got cross-border internationally plus between canada u.s mexico um, like, you know, anyone that gets into the world, like even just shipping from us and going to the border towns in Mexico, that's a whole world to understand, right. you know, understanding how it goes in bond and all this stuff. And there's all the customs that are involved. So there's, like I said, if someone wants to get into the world of logistics, rather than just saying trucking, because you could be working for a trucking company without being a trucker. Cause you could be, if it's a big enough facility, you could be a forklift operator working in the warehouse. You could be a, right. you know, uh, the same, you could be working in the office in accounting. You could be like, there's a thousand ways in HR and human resources. Like it just, it's endless. You could be working in the insurance industry in the truck, in the transportation world. That's a huge aspect as well. So it's just endless. Well, yeah. And it, it and this is the stuff that I, a lot of drivers, um, and, and we, it's amazing back, back when, um, COVID hit, I started doing the same thing that, that you started doing, Rob, it was dry. Everybody wanted to, to start putting regulations on everything. More regulations. We need to regulate everything. They they said the exact same thing when COVID hit, and that's one of the when I first started one of my first channels, um, before I got into this one. And it was it's it's they the fact that it's like they don't know the whole process. Like I sign NDAs a lot of times. I can't talk pricing. I can't do this. Cust customers won't let me talk that stuff, um, and they don't realize that. Just be they think that all I need is a phone and a computer, and that's all I need. And that's all a broker does. And a lot of times uh, I'll ask a driver, you know, a driver will tell me, you know, what do you do? And I'll say, well, let me put it to you this way. Can I speak to your sales department, please? And the driver's like, I don't, I don't have one. I'm like, well, that's what I do. 
I'm your sales department. And if you think you could afford me by yourself, you couldn't. You couldn't afford me. But the the but all these people combined are technically affording my sales department. And and that's the big thing. It's like it, cash, who's your sales department? Oh, buddy, that's uh, that's me all day long. Right. Okay, but who's your operations department? Well, I've got I've got an operations department. But... <laughs> you've got one, but you've decided to be the sales as the owner yeah. to be yeah. the sales, right? That's, so that's yeah. your so you not- that's that's a key. I bet you if you talk to every long-term trucking owner, that's one thing I bet you they would all agree upon. They can have all kinds of di- different discussions and ideas, but I bet you they all agree. They may have some salespeople, but their hand is always in the pie of sales because why? That's the most important part of the business. Correct. And that's even well, and you have to know. See, my thing about it is you have to know what you're promo, you know, what you're promising somebody, right? You have to know what you're signing up for. And if you're in there, if I mean if I had somebody that was doing sales next to me, and I mean you're promising people the world and gold-covered marshmallows, and we're gonna be holding hands and singing <laughs> kumbaya, like I need to know that because uh, we're not in the business of painting marshmallows gold around here. And that's not something that I'm, you know, I may not be accustomed to that, but as far as, yeah, as far as being in the sales now, I knew, I know some, I do know, uh, do know some, uh, know some that they don't even bother uh, with sales. And that's, that's one of the biggest misconceptions for carriers. I think is that they get in a position where it's like, Oh, I could just call a broker. It's like, well, you could, um, but could you, eventually lock down your own freight and see i'm i'm different than all of you guys because i'm working from a tactician level for what fits my carrier not so much what fits globally right because for me where and where i i have beat out a lot of the local competition is just by not needing another mouth to feed i don't need another business to stimulate so i can cut my costs a lot but still do very well on my carrier side and it allows me, but I'm not, I'm not taking a big piece of the pie. I mean, I'm taking onesies and twosies and bits and pieces here that make work. And, or maybe I've got a lane that's running, you know, I've got a good Texas to Chicago, but I'm looking for a Chicago specific back to Texas. And so maybe I'm looking for that one specific joint of my chain. That's not complete for my circle, but that's about as far as I'm getting with it. And then there's some where there's one-offs that show up or whatever, where, you know, it's a random phone call or a random customer that maybe I had spoken to then. Okay. I will deal with that. But, um, you know, from the perspective of sales, yeah, I think you have to be as an owner, I think you have to have some feel to the sales side, because if at least if at least understand what they're promising for you, because if they, if they don't promise or if they're over promising, or if they're saying things that are completely unattainable, you're now committed to that unattainable mystical measure that somebody's put you under. So yeah, I'm I'm a big firm believer in at least just understanding what's being said so that when there is time to be accountable for the action, I understood what our promises were up front. Um, and that's that's a big point. I mean, I don't I don't think there's there's a lot of a lot of carriers that I don't think do that. Hey, no, and I think hold on. Hang on. Uh, we just got a uh, where's my mouse? We got this Toe Piglet guy. I uh, just did. Let me throw this on screen here. Toe Piglet just get, did forty nine ninety nine. Uh, can you talk about the future of trucking and logistics? Autonomous trucks uh, or VC backed startups got billions of funding, such as Project Forty Four, Cloud Trucks, that are now uh, causing app 
fatigue business insider article or share the thoughts on digital brokers. You know, I should drop the link and just bring him up is what I should. I was going to say, Cash, do you know Toe Piglet? Yeah. Oh, we both yeah. know Toe Piglet. Yeah. I know Toe Piglet. I uh, spoke with him uh, yesterday. He runs, I don't know him personally, but I know that he runs a great business. Oh, then you don't know Toe Pig. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know him personally, but I mean, I know the business. I've used them and they, they do run a nice business. Yeah, yeah, I talked to Toe Piglet. I should, uh, Toe, I should, uh, is it, I should send him the link. You want to come up, Toe? You want to, you want to be the danger zone here? All right, go ahead. Go ahead with what you're saying. Well, no, I mean, I'm, I, I think as far as his question's concerned, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. Um, there's a lot there to be answered. I mean, just in autonomous trucks alone. You could be here for an hour uh, where things are going to be moving. But as far as um, backed up, uh, you know, the startups that are being backed by billions in funding, there is a ton of them, um, an absolute ton of them. I think there's there, I think there's a lot of people that have jumped in now and have looked at the logistics industry. I think they're doing with the logistics industry what happened in Iowa when the farmers died off. When the farmers didn't pass down their farms to their children or they did pass down the farms to their children and the city boys decided to go to the farms and make their business out of the farming, and that, you know, all the farmers went to the city. It's exactly what's happening with logistics. All of these people who have understood internet marketing, sales, uh, online distribution, quick sales fronts and, and different uh, click funnels and things like that. Man, they're coming in in waves and they're they're taking peanuts off the top. I mean, absolute just nickels and dimes off the top, but at a massive scale. And that's really all they're looking forward to doing is connecting somebody and making it a little bit more difficult to make that connection to somebody else. But, but if you uh, imagine, if you look back in the last couple, three, four years, there has been a significant number of trucks, carry, carriers who went out of business. Mm -hmm. And part of them was they got, um, I'm just reading here. What's in there? Okay. Um, so a lot, I've seen that there was a lot of, you know, startup like investment companies think, hey, let's get into the trucking world. So they came into a company that had been around for years, kind of gets involved into their ownership group. And then they discovered how cost and dollar and intensive trucking is. It just sucks money out of it's a, it's a huge cash flow because the more trucks you have and you got company drivers, the more problems you have. It's just a reality. It's just a reality. You can hire all the best drivers you want, but you're going to have problems. And well, and to the point of app fatigue, there is no uniformity whatsoever. I mean, there there's absolutely none. I mean, it's whoever's got the best marketing strategy, whoever costs the best, whoever does the best sales, whoever gets to broker the best. But as far as um, as far as you know, app fatigue is concerned, I know drivers that have gotten called when they're in the middle of the restroom. I know drivers that are getting pinged every time they stop to get something to eat. I know there's drivers that are constantly getting hit every single time they they stop the truck for anything no matter what that is and it's somebody you know it's it's a broker who's on the other side who's looking at tracking or it might be an agent for that broker that's on the other side looking at the tracking and going hey this truck is not in motion and let's call the driver and it's like guys like and again it a lot of times when it happens it's a mega carrier or a mega brokerage with really inexperienced people who are just doing what they're told to do by their boss or whoever's in charge of them for that afternoon and then they get in there and it's like, yeah, call this driver, call the driver, call the driver. Like, dude, the driver's on his 10 hour break. Don't call the driver. Don't waste the driver's time. Like quit singing the driver's phone. 
Like, you know, Sage, you don't track these guys, do you? You go off the old school rule, don't you? Oh, yeah. I, I, my guys, but it's a call. It's a phone call. My guys check in with phone calls. Um, and, 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 but like I said, a lot of, now understand a lot of my freight is, cu- is carried by the same carriers, right? That do it. I do, I do post very rarely. I hate posting freight. The last thing we want to do as a broker is post freight. So if you're a driver listening and you're only pulling off the load board, you are missing out on some good freight. I ain't going to lie to you. Um, but a lot of times, my I'm just a phone call. I'm just I call them up when they're loaded. They call me. They know to call me if there's issues. They let me know where I'm at. Uh, my cust my drivers get the phone numbers of the of the shipper. My drivers get the phone numbers of the receivers, uh, so they check in. I call the receivers, and then I say, okay, I'm going to have the driver call you now, so you have contact with the driver. Um, but that's I'm old school that way, and and a lot of that's changing. But Toe's argument, if he actually comes in here, Wimp, um, you coming in, Wimp? Um, what's that? Wimp, he actually, Wimp, Wimp. He, yeah, he actually want, thinks bro- brokers like we had a conversation that a lot of brokers are going to go to w- away because of uh, Project 44 and things like that. And although I I do see aspects of brokerages uh going away i don't see complete brokerages going oh there he is oh he's coming in camera wise uh, oh, so get back dude i take it back the man the myth the legend yeah take it back because he did come in how's it going what's going on buddy uh first off i want to apologize you got uh you guys were all talking about like sales and whatnot and the importance of um, you know, ironing out your sales department as a carrier. And so I kind of dropped a long question with many different ideas in it yeah. um, right in the middle of, of the sales. So I apologize. So if, no if, if you guys want to um, go back to covering sales, because um, oh, no, I, you're I think, here now, you're yeah, here now, you're, but, in, like, you're here, bring it. So the, the main, the main thing is uh, like, it's, I think uh, like, I think Rob, you were starting to uh, Rob, right? Yes. Okay, so I think you just started touching on it, and it's a lot of companies are getting funding, which is really interesting because like trucking is literally a dinosaur industry. You could say there hasn't been a lot going on over there in trucking, and so, and and a lot of companies are getting funding, but that doesn't that doesn't fix like they don't fix the core problem, which is like it's really dang difficult to be a like an owner operator, right? Like obviously the mega carriers, we know they'll, they'll exist and they add 1200 trucks a year. I think Swift was adding literally, I believe they added 1200 trucks in a year, which is insane. Uh, like, uh, but it's really difficult to be an owner operator on the road. And a lot of the companies, even though they're well-funded with millions upon millions of, if not billions of dollars, they don't solve that fundamental difficulty, right? With the, right. the insurance or managing the business. And so the reason I brought up cloud trucks specifically in there is because they are a recent company that did get funding, but they're actually doing something a little bit different. And they are a, um, a virtual motor carrier. So they have their MC number and you could actually run their numbers on your truck, but they're a virtual motor carrier, which I thought, which that's starting to look like a different thing. And I've been listening to Twitter about it. And I just, I found out about uh, uh, cloud trucks at the mid America truck show. So that's why I've just, I'm super interested that finally a high tech startup that's funded is actually focusing on like the motor carrier side instead of just the brokerage side. So, well, um, I was going to interject and, and bring into the, to that is, uh, sorry, what was your first name on Topiclet? Alex. 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 Um, so, I was going to say one of the interesting things that a lot of people, maybe you might agree with me, Cash, uh, here is, and a lot of people will hate me for this comment, but 
owner operatorship, the concept of an owner operator is fantastic. It created another avenue. You can go out just like, hey, if you're a plumber, you can go, you don't, if you have your plumbing certificate, you don't have to go work for a company. You just put your name on Facebook and you grow your, organically grow your business. Or, or owner operatorship allows you to be in the truck that you want to be in for your desired goals of your, like, you don't want to drive that company truck that someone else, you know, ate their burger the day before and left fries all over the place and it stinks like their food and so forth, right? So you have that benefit. But something that no one ever talks about, they always talk about on the, you know, we always hear about, there's all kinds of groups that talk about rates. We talk about the cost to operate the truck. When no one ever says, I'm coming into trucking to help be more efficient for the supply chain. When you have a hundred, when you have millions of owner operators, there's absolutely no efficiency. <laughs> Let's just be realistic here. No efficiency. <laughs> You're not working together to go. You, that's why you, this industry requires the megas because without the megas, Walmart's the, the the things that we take for granted going into the dollars the Dollar Generals or the Walmart stores or the Targets and getting a decent priced item at that price, without intermodal and ocean freight and megas who can haul and drop 20 trailers tomorrow at a shipper, we this this the supply chain would fall apart. The owner operators are great for stuff, but the reality is when you go to if you go to Lowe's or you go to Home Depot. And you see a pile of fence boards that says we paid the driver eight dollars a mile, and this load, this stack says we paid the driver three dollars a mile. The, most consumers care about that, unless they have a family member that trucks, they would appreciate that. But they don't look at that. We just think your wife says we need a new deck, we need a new fence. Find a price that's reasonable and get this thing built. But I don't want to spend thousands of dollars. So you need that hybrid of efficiencies. And that's maybe you know where some networks. Because think about it, you put a hundred truckers in the same room, they're never going to agree on anything. Well, but I mean, at the end of the day, with the, with a carrier, right? When you have a carrier going in, how many carriers transition into a brokerage? Very few. How many carriers actually have a sales brokerage department? Very few. And the only difference, really, the major difference between a massive uh, mega carrier. And any regular carrier out in the world, and just to give you an idea, it's 97.4%. I just checked the facts there. 97.4% of the market is comprised of 20 trucks and less. So the mega carriers don't have much of the market. But what they do have, though, is an understanding of what they need as a carrier to develop long term and sustain throughout that market. And that's where they come in with the brokerage. They come in and, and a cure, you know. Uh, they accommodate their customer and then they lock in the contracts, right? So they lock in those contracts, they lock in those bids, they lock in the rates. They've spent you know millions of dollars finding out the most efficient truck, the most cost-effective truck, the most desirable truck for the right kind of people, right? And so they're doing that while other people are concerned with, man, my uh, my chrome on my truck looks really really good. Like you know my stacks on my truck look really really cool. And, you know, oh, I'm going to stretch the frame on my truck. And it's like, rather than spending thousands of dollars stretching the frame of your truck, why don't you learn how to get into locking in a few contracts that will sustain your business and add some stability to your earnings and then allow you to develop and actually become competitive. And it's likely you're going to get bought out long before this ever happens. So you're probably going to get bought out. But if you do get bought out, great, good for you. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's very few companies do that. And so where you, where the problem ends up being is that you've got individuals that are running trucks as individuals and nobody looks at it from the standpoint of, man, I could be competitive if I only locked in a contract. I could be competitive if I well, went about sales, you know, and they just don't I, do that. Well, I was going to mention two things. One, so if you take a big, if you have more than 20 trucks and you're, mm -hmm. 
imagine if you have 20 trucks that each driver wants to do their own thing. Well, now only one dispatcher can handle, if you're having to do each individual driver doing every load is different and unique, you can only have, you know, one dispatcher, five, six trucks, maybe seven, eight if you're really lucky. Now, if you take where you have 50, if you have 50 trailers and you have a contract where you're dropping 25 trucks, 25 trailers to one shipper, and you got drivers, that one dispatcher can manage probably 15 drivers yeah. because he's dealing with the contract, right? And now to take your point to the next point, I don't want to pick on one company, but I will okay. uh, because I think we can agree to it is Landstar. Landstar is oh. a huge network. Yes, so sir. they have a lot of benefits they bring to drivers. They have great tire purchase plans. They got great maintenance plans. They can loan you money. Yep. They have a lot of safety. There's the clout of Landstar is in there. So there's a lot of, and you get paid, you know, you get paid hundred percent of your tarp fees, et cetera, et cetera. However, when you look at the scope and size of land of Landstar, they do have some contracts, but they're not gaining thousands of drivers a week or a month because they have a contract because why? That's why people go to Landstars because they can pick and choose the freight they want. They don't mm -hmm. say, hey, we just, so it's hard for them to even go out and negotiate a contract because they can't, they, they can't commit that they're going to have, because those drivers, there's, there's a, with Landstar, it's just like a broker and an agent. They, they're, you're part of Landstar, but there's an arm's distance. They can't force you to do anything. So, Correct. well, Landstar so figured out how to become optimally profitable. They right. learned how to take all of that profit and soak it up for themselves. I mean, if you look at the onboarding process as a carrier for Landstar, 99.9% .9 of that is outsourced. There's probably two actual Landstar people overseeing the outsourcing of some of this, you know, and it's so Landstar figured out oh, these guys, these brokers, these no name brokers, ha, they need a job. I'm going to give them a job. They can run our name. They can do the cloud trucking deal, right? Slap a Landstar logo in the background of their border. And there they go. They're working for Landstar. They're somebody. And they can go find our work for us. And they can go do the groundwork. And if they don't make any money, they'll starve to death. And it's the same thing where the truck driver gets into it. They lease on to Landstar paying ungodly rates. And then they lease on to them with all the perks. And then they realize that, well, I'm, I'm with Landstar. I've got a great market. No, what you did is limit yourself to a single bubble of the market. You have a Landstar network. That's all you have. So if Landstar ain't got it moving, or let's say the freight on the open market, there's a $9 mile load sitting a mile from you, but the nearest Landstar load is 20 miles the other way, and it's only paying three bucks, and you're Landstar locked in, off you go. Go get your Landstar stuff. Go go service Landstar. And that's that's where I yeah I disagree with that entirely. Well, no, so, you're yeah, and just so hold on, but you're so you're saying that like even though a, a motor carrier can have thousands of trucks, at the end of the day, you still need like mega carriers because they can service precisely the customer's needs. Whereas even the Landstar has thousands of trucks, they can't service a customer's needs precisely because they don't, and, and that's why they don't have contracts because they're all independent owner operators. They have right? some. So, they do have. I'm not saying that because they do have a pool of trailers. Because right, you get paid less money when you use a Landstar trailer than you do your own trailer. You get paid more money. So that's why I'm not saying they don't have any contracts, but I'm just saying that. I don't see Landstar. We don't hear that Landstar is scooping up business away from Knight and Swift. No. Okay. Hang on. Or US as, Expressway, right? As a Landstar agent and driver, which I was, um, probably 90% of Landstar's freight is pulled off of broker boards. That's what agents do. They pull it off of a broker board, they stick it on the Landstar board. Now, the only thing that's protected 
protected is military freight. Uh, a Landstar agent cannot get to a military freight account. They can't move military freight. They can't do anything with military freight. It has to go directly through Landstar and through a Landstar. So the, I do know they have the military contracts because that's no touch. Don't you touch a military load if you're, you know, don't pull it off the broker board, nothing. So, but it's very difficult for that, their business model to keep contracts because they have to, the only way you're going to get a driver to do something is to pay him a lot of money, right? You have to pay him a lot of money. There's no company drivers. So if that driver doesn't want to do it, I might have to offer $4 a mile. I'm just using simple numbers here or $5 a mile to, to incentivize him. So Wait. the optimization that Landstar essentially did is they knew that truckers don't have sales departments. And so they right. have independent brokers or in, uh, independent Landstar agents that are focusing only on sales. And they built out the technology in the between, which is the Landstar load board. Right. And then they put together that with the independent truckers that, and so they like, they split up those two roles very precisely. And even though they did a fantastic job and were able to grow really, I, I think I watched a documentary about Landstar uh, not too long ago. And um, like, Maybe 15 years ago, they were a high-tech startup. That was a crazy part. Um, and so even though the optimization they did, because there's that whole individuality aspect of like you essentially can't offer a like as good of a price as if you were a mega carrier, correct? Rob, I think that's kind of what we're, we're yeah, yeah, basically. And, and see, the, here again, back to sales, because the each driver, when they go on the load board, they can often, and if anyone's been in Landstar that, you know, they in the that would see this is that if they look at the load board from Landstar, sometimes they'll see the same load posted by multiple Landstar agents in some cases, not always, but in some cases. So again, just because you're working from Landstar, way back to the beginning of this conversation where cash brought in, even as a Landstar BCO, you have to be a salesperson because you need to find, because there's some, just like in the world of freight brokering, there's great brokers, bad brokers in the world of the spot market, great carriers, bad carriers, in Landstar, there's good drivers, bad drivers, and there's good agents, bad agents. So you need to find the agents that work, that have the freight that you're looking for, and you want to build that relationship with them so that they don't post it, that they actually call you first. Hey, Alex, I've got this load again, ready to take it. Yes, I can. Boom. And, you know, because that's just, you know, that's, you, you have to build a network within Landstar. You have to learn their game. No different than if you work at another company where you get to do I think it's uh, Schneider does the IC choice boards. Various companies have, you know, there's lots of different companies nowadays that offer owner operators or lease operators choice of freight. But remember, just because if you're a company, a trucking company offering saying, come to us because we pay you either percentage or, or rate per mile, we have contract freight. That means that you either have to have a sales force, you have to have a group of people constantly filling that pipeline. Because if you have a big contract with whether it's Walmart or some manufacturing company, and you're hauling XY products, and all of a sudden the contract comes up for renewal and you lose it. Well, now what? How do you keep going? So you got to be prepared for those situations. Like it's, and that's no different than broker. Like back to your uh, cash brought up the point, or someone brought up the point about you call a broker and they don't barely even know what the commodity is. That was cash. Generally, that tends to be the larger brokerages. And guess how that kind of works? They have a national account prep. They deal with levels higher than what most people deal with. They're dealing with the top buyers in the logistics chain. And they go out there and they secure multiple loads of either, say, you know, it could be steel or it could be McCain juice or it could be some juice company where they're saying, okay, we're, we need 25 trucks. So now they just bring it to their operations team saying, we need 25 trucks for the shipper. And they get that young person who doesn't know much. And they say, 
start, put this on our board here. When carriers call you, start out at $1,000. And then in an hour, move it up to 1100 then 1150 and 1200 and so forth until we get this many trucks booked in the day. And you, you, if you took a moment and studied what Uber's done, uh, Conway Freight with the click and go programs, the click and go programs are only suitable for certain types of commodities. When you have anything that needs specialized, like delivering to job sites and, and special stuff, it's not going to work because with click and go, the shipper has to be very flexible because what if they, what if Uber, Uber doesn't fulfill all the loads that day? The shipper has to be okay with that, right? So now, real, real, hang on, real quick, hang on. So yes, uh, Alex is right. It's, if you want to look at Landstar real quick, it's a startup internet, you know, startup company that figured out that, hey, all we need is dispatchers and an MC number because that's what Landstar is. you got a bunch of dispatchers that they call agents pulling loads off, dispatching their trucks, and they, buy, they said, you know what we should do next? We should buy trailers. Done. That's, and that's what they did. They were a startup company. So go, but go ahead. Are you, what were you going to say? So, uh, so the, um, but since a majority of the freight being moved is usually drive in and reefer, what doesn't that work well for click and go for those like high tech brokerages or software brokerages? Only on high volume commodities. Mm-hmm. And so even though these startups are getting billions of dollars, it's like, they're still running into the roadblock that if the commodity or the shipper isn't like really like isn't an ideal fit for a click and go booking, then it, it's still get you're still you're still gonna have people that are gonna have to you know. But no, take I'll calls tell you and, what I'll tell you the problem with some of the startups, and I guess Cash, you could probably say the same. And, and Sage is, I think that uh, some of these startup brokerages and carriers are their technology is so far advanced that there's a lot of shippers that are not as technologically savvy right. as, as one would believe, and they so don't. They're want not. It. They're not in. They're not prepared to be on that click and go app system with it. So it has to work. So if you were to study what are the typical loads you see on click and goes, you'll get a quick sense what kind of commodities. I'm not going to expose all that. And I'm, I don't think I should be doing that. But that's, you know, I think every anyone that's that's around that there's if you're set, like it's like anything else. When you go sell, if you have 10 trucks and you go to a shipper and they say, oh, yeah, we got freight moving out of here. And if it's not in your lanes. You might say, thanks, I'll take your name and number, but I'm really looking for free. You have to put blinders on depending on what you're doing in your business. Like for you with your business, Alex, you you run a certain kind of business and I know what you do because I've used you. I've worked with you. Uh, you've hauled my load before. So yep. um, I did. Uh, yes. Not, well, I'm, a, I'm a, about you, but I have. Yeah, you're set up in my system and I you've booked you uh, a load for me from uh, Paris, California to Lehigh, Utah. Your carrier. Oh, nice. Dude, yeah. dude, when so you mentioned you run, that earlier, I was like, man, I don't even remember. Yeah, I said you're yeah, you run a real nice company. Yeah. I appreciate it, dude. Well, they, uh, I'll tell you it. what I'll tell you what Alex does with his system. After the driver picks up, he's doing what not a lot of carriers do. You get an automatic email with you know, with the picture you even get a picture of the load upon yeah. the, upon pickup. Not many he has excellent technology. Well, right. A lot of and, a lot of these people you look at too, right? When we're talking about automation, there's still shippers and receivers that are printing out your paperwork on a scantron. Right. There's still people that are using, you know, the most mundane level of technology. Right. So when you come out with these super like and I think that it's gotten to a point now, it's so annoying. And it's gotten to the point where even brokers are using technology for like click funnels. Right. It's this constant inundating data collection dump of gathering information, gathering your information, gathering your information and hitting you and spamming you with all of their, you know, here's the loads I got today. Here's the loads I got today. And it's like, dude, I'm on a list of probably 5,000 people. 
Like, I don't care what you have today. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not. And that's where I really feel bad for the trucking industry a lot of times on the carrier side of things because the lack of education there is so vast that nobody's willing to take the steps to actually fulfill those roles, to come up with that sales department. Because if you did, if you actually came up with those things and kept your things in-house and, and you know, granted, Landstar may be the most profitable, but I doubt very seriously that they're going to outlast some of the mega carriers that have been around since the 70s. I really doubt that. And I doubt that predominantly because Landstar has only mastered the, the art of that broker trailer rental technology thing, whereas the carriers are mastering the art of hiring. And you would have to get Landstar to understand how to hire. If you look at some of the hiring processes that these big trucking companies take in, they're not fighting a battle of just technology. They're fighting the battle of HR and they're fighting the battle of how to get guys in and onboarded. I mean, when you talk to a carrier, a carrier can have you on a truck tomorrow, a bus tomorrow, rental car tomorrow. You'll be at their facility. You'll be in, out, boom, in a week. You're done in the truck. You're gone. That level of understanding, that level of work, that's a totally different fight. That's not even the fight that Landstar wants. Landstar wants the guy who got a truck, has a truck, and doesn't have the trailer, doesn't have the loads, doesn't know how to get the loads, but wants the independence to feel that they can get their own load. That's where Landstar kind of fit that niche, in my opinion. I hang out so, real Hang on, just over you this week. You paid $10. So, and thank you for that. I appreciate it. Second time I failed my CDL test. Apparently, I ran every single stop sign. Okay. Uh, first time I did, I didn't even leave the yard because of basic maneuvers. Um, yeah, it's not easy. Uh, taking that test is not easy. It's uh, It takes a little bit of time. It does. And Eric, not, you're, not you, Eric, but the other Eric that just give you the super chat. Don't feel bad because I know some, I just spoke with someone that's a driver. He's been driving for a long time now, but he told me his first test, he got in, he just started backing up his first backup just to get out of the yard. He was done. So even the pre-trip, I know some people that couldn't pass the pre-trip for like seven times. <laughs> so, so to, to kind of summarize, right. So because there's a huge amount of businesses, right? Whether trucking businesses, manufacturers, shippers, because there's so many businesses and each of those businesses as is at a different stage, technologically speaking, it's yep. going to be a while before we see like a, a huge drastic change in, in logistics, right? Like that's kind of what we're, we're getting well, to. Unless in my opinion, unless something happens that, okay, this is where I believe that the, uh, the, uh, the, the supply chain task force is basically coming in. So if something happens where they say you all need to start upgrading to protect our supply chain, to protect our logistics, if the government comes in and says, you have to start doing this, it's an emergency, we could be hacked and we have to protect this, and they come in with the Defense Protection Act, uh, uh, Act, which they might, shippers are sometimes, I just two years ago, just two years ago, one of my shippers finally got to the point that they use a, a TMS and I can send them through that system. I was, I was sending them spreadsheet rate cons and they were signing them and sending them back two years ago. And finally, I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are killing me. They just got one. So there's a lot of old school. Now, of course, you can have the bigger ones. Right. Um, but there's still a lot of old school transportation managers and things like that, that it's bringing that system in you they have to be on that system and and they have to understand how to use it uh, i i think it all comes down to money still we're still in the game of money everyone's in the business to make money so 
there might be a few shippers that say they're trying to be green, but what does that mean? Does that mean that, okay, last year we did um, a million pounds in X amount of trucks because they shipped out, you know, there's often many trucks that ship out as full truckloads, but there's really only, you know, a full 53 van, but there's only 10 skids in there. So right. they could turn around and say, and same with intermodal. As a, like I'm a, uh, as a broker, I, I have lots of connections and I have lots of abilities to do rail. Hey, yeah, but hey. In, intermodal, just to just quick definition so everybody understands, like I know it, but just so it, we're not talking in trucker code, is basically transferring between rail and things like that. So intermodal is uh, warehousing. It's it's shifting it into multiple means of. Not necessarily. It can be from it can be from the manufacturer to the direct to the distributor. But the the issue right now in the United States with intermodal, one, there's a huge shortage of drayage right now, shortage of containers. But the pricing, see, two three years ago. Usually, if you had availability and the customer wasn't in a rush, it would save five, six hundred dollars on a load. Well, now, like I have some lanes that I do. I used to do intermodal, but I can't now because of the location. Sometimes they're, you know, they, when you deal with intermodal companies, you're dealing with larger companies that have safety departments. And I have, you know, there's some places that aren't easy to back into. And some drivers will pull the safety card saying, I'm, I don't feel safe, so they won't do it. So and the other factor is the shipper's willingness to be part of the intermodal game, meaning there is an entire presentation based on the commodity that you're hauling where you have to meet because the rail guys just show up with an empty container, shipper's supposed to load it. But it's said shipper's ultimate responsibility to apply the Tyvek strapping, put the baseboards, like you have to put, you know, you're supposed to put a two by four across the last row, you nail that to the floor, then you put support beams and you put another across. So you're building a whole base. You have, if you have space between the pallets, you have to put the airbags and so forth and so on, depending on what commodities, if you're putting, you know, everything has, every commodity, paper rolls to pallets to whatever it is, has certain standards because it has to withstand the rigors of intermodal freight, the inertia of the start, the inertia of the stopping, and then the wiggling back and forth during the transit time. And so there's a lot of factors. And right now, I, I do check intermodal rates because I'm doing them, and it's often not cheaper than over the road. And so you'd think from an, from an environmental standpoint, we should be pushing more rail. But the reality is, even in Canada, in all my years of doing it and in all my life, there's no new railroads being built. <laughs> We haven't, there's no infrastructure for that. So that is that. So when we go back to the environment side of the world, we say, uh, you know, if a shipper says we did X amount of loads, we did a thousand trucks and X amount, well, we figure we can do 800, 800 trucks. We're going to reduce by 200 trucks in a year, but we're actually going to do 1.2 million pounds because we're not going to allow any less than full truck loads out. Everything has to be, you know, efficient or we want trucks like California rules. But again, this goes back to when you talk about trucking and sales and brokerages, where's the broker fit in? Well, some shippers, like if you look around the United States, there's, I mean, there's millions of trucks, right? And there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of carriers across the United States. There's a ton of regional carriers that are not on load boards. They have 10, 20, 15 trucks, and they're not on load boards. And you talk to them because they have a network of people. Some brokers may have found them and they may actually work with some brokers, but that's because the broker sought them out. And so they, they, they run a nice little regional business. And think about this. There's another side of the world that isn't discussed in the world of trucking on YouTubes and Facebook. But anyone that works in LTL, like if, you know, look at LME. LME went out of business, right? Lakeville Motor Express, Pitt, Ohio. So we have all these different carriers. Well, there's a lot of these carriers that Averett Express, YRC, Old Dominion, that don't always pick up everywhere. 
right? They don't pick up everywhere. And so they have these little pockets of regional carriers. Like I know I do a pickup in uh, Trever, Wisconsin. Well, it's a separate little carrier that picks up there, right? And so it, it's a, there's a whole chain of people. You book with one carrier, but it's actually three different LTL companies that by the time it gets picked up and brought through, and there's all these local companies that are, you know, they pick it up, they pass it on to this carrier and this carrier brings freight in, they pass it to them. So you can go out there create a trucking company and be a regional cartage where, you know, there's other companies like you could be uh, hauling stuff for like bread companies from grocery channels to distributions. And you could be the same thing for, you know, like I think there's guys out there that are contractors for the hardware stores hauling the lumbers and stuff direct to the ship, you know, the consignees with a Moffat trailer unloading it at their door. So this industry is amazing. And, and where the broker fits into this is that sometimes some shippers don't want uh, 55 different trucking companies calling them every day for their freight. Right. They would rather have just one, two, three brokers because they know that these, those brokers are going to vet those carriers. They know that those brokers, they understand their needs and, and expectations, and they don't have to tell everything new, maybe because there's a lot of shippers, even though there might be old school as far as their technology, but they're not old school that they, you have to go through the process. It's not a simple, hey, you got freight today? Great. I'll come send my truck. No, it can take anywhere from 10 to two weeks to get set up with these shippers by the time you fill out their paperwork. It goes to their accounting. You have to be set up as a vendor, as a as a vendor in their system, and then you have to get them set up, and you have to go through the whole credit process and understand how it all works. By the time you get all that put together, it can be even if they start approving the rates to get going, can take some time, and they may have agreements that you may or may not agree with. So there's a lot. So the broker has a valued place because sometimes it's easier for the shipper because they're negotiating on their behalf, and they and the broker takes. And that's where the level varies like when you're new in the industry you're hungry to gain customers so you're going to do a bunch of different things as you gain experience and you gain your connections you can get to more complicated freight that allows you to be a lot more in the game and ultimately the perfect goal that you want is two things one whether you're a trucking company or a broker you know you're doing well is when the shipper doesn't ask you to quote every single load they just tell you to pick it up and you send them an invoice because they know that you're not overcharging them they need to know the price you just tell them, yeah, the truck picked up. Here's your price for today. They're not quabbling about it because they know they trust you, that you did the right thing. And that's that's number one. And number two, when a trucking company or some, or sorry, a shipper lands a new contract, hey, so-and-so is going to buy X amount of freight from us. We're going to need some trucks. You're the first person out of their mouth when they're having their meeting in the warehouse or in the conference room. I'm going to call so-and-so because that's our person. We can rely on them. So. Right. So just like a lot of carriers don't have a sales department to go out there and gain customers, same thing with shippers. Most of them don't have a like brokerage department to find trucks. So inevitably it's just easier to outsource a department that you're not specializing in because that's, well, that's also, you're not paying for them because as a, right. you know, on top even as a trucking company, even if you're a small regional trucking company, you may have some direct shippers and you think, well, I should get a brokerage. Sometimes just partnering with another broker that helps you get the back free. Cause that's like this. I think I've mentioned this somewhere else before, but it, does anyone know what the Chicago model is for freight brokerage? I do, but, but go ahead. Yeah. Cash, do you know what the Chicago model is? So the Chicago model is this, because you now have a brokerage. This might open your eyes to an idea. The Chicago model is most bro brokerages out there tend to go out there and look for a customer because often we don't look at it from where the truck needs to go. We find customers that need freight moved, and then we focus on the needs of the customer, whereas trucking companies tend to focus on trying to get their freight, the trucks moved back and forth. So the Chicago model says 
we have one set of, if you have three or four people working together in a brokerage, you find shippers going from say, Iowa to Texas. And so you're sending the trucks there. Now you focus, you go out there and you realize, okay, you got two or three customers. Now you put all your efforts finding freight within say 50 or 80 miles of that where you're delivering. Trying to get freight back as close to 80 to 100 miles there. Now you can go to those carriers saying, hey, we got a round trip for you. And that carrier would be like, perfect. Right? Yeah. Do you know how far, how hard that is? I mean, I've asked. Very hard. It, Very and it's hard. funny because it's funny because somebody will be like, oh man, I've got, you know, 50 of these loads moving from Texas to California. And I'm like, great. I have the trucks that can handle all 50 loads. And they're like, I know. okay. And I'm like, what do you got for a backhaul? Uh, nothing, no idea. And it's like, man, that's where I don't want to do it. Because at that point, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, and I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just thinking too far into it, but I, I look at it like, if you're not thinking that way, that you're not seeing it, you know, there's a lot of brokers where I, and I'm surprised that I don't know why brokers don't take these trips to do these things, but to actually see the facility you're going to, to actually see the facility you're sending trucks into. Because when you hear people, like I remember I would send photos to certain brokers when I was at a dump of a facility and I would be there and I'd take photos. I'm like, this is the parking lot. And they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. And you've been, oh man, we've never had a complaint. Get out of here. Like you, <laughs> come on, dude. Like don't waste my time, bro. You know that you're sending people into a garbage facility. You know what it is. You're, you know, you're just getting this customer lined out. I got it. But my thought process on it is, is if you're not in, in depth enough to know where you're going, where you're sending a truck and what the market is that you're sending a truck into, how in the world do you know what to quote? How in the world do you know what to pay? Because you have to know both markets. You really do. You have to understand where you're picking up and where you're dropping somebody out. Because if you, if, you know, a load for me from, you know, Houston running me into Dallas can go for a lot cheaper than if you ran me from Houston to the middle of nowhere, Montana. You know, if you're running me into nowhere, Montana, it's not expensive just because it's Montana and further miles. It's because it's Montana, you know, and so it's 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 one of those things where I feel a lot of times the broker that I'm speaking with when I do speak with certain brokers or when we're booking freight, the troublesome part becomes where either a they're one of 50 brokers. They're relying on a 3PL to dish down the freight to them, which is what a lot of brokers do is just go get a go hook up with a 3PL and let the 3PL funnel the freight to you rather than you actually working to get the load itself. But then they funnel that freight in. By the time they get a truck for it, they don't have the load anymore. The load canceled. The load was moved off. The load's been pushed off. And so you end up dealing with it and it becomes frustrating and tiring because where you might have you and Sage. And that might be a handful of decently solid brokers. You have an ungodly amount. And I mean, a gauntlet of just absolute bottom of the barrel trash can freight brokers. And it's like, dude, what, 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 how do you make it through the day? How did you get to lunch and not die of lack of oxygen? So how did you Dad, make it to help you to make you feel happy here? So that closet, I just opened for a second there. See this little bag it's That's sitting right there. I just go back. I'm ready to go. There's my safety vest, my hard hat. He does. He has a go bag. My tape measure, because I'm measuring my skids. I'm measuring the freight. What a rarity. Yeah. I and got my work gloves, and I got my earplugs. And I also got steel-toed shoes. Uh, he's, he's, got, he's got a broker go bag. 
Right. I can make so, my office portable in minutes. I take my laptop. He's I got, got a, a blowout ready. kit for brokers. Yeah, he does. I, I, what I, Dude, one, you should one sell that. Do, you wouldn't make millions just selling that. Yeah. One little tip I do is actually I have a, a little thing I did is showing my office because I actually have a walking treadmill desk. And uh, But I, one tip I do for people that want to be easily trans, you know, maneuverable with your office, if you have a laptop, buy two plugins. One that you keep plugged at your desk, one you keep in your briefcase. You'll never forget it. Right. And so basically, the, it, the the summary though is like um, that a, a even though a broker might have some experience, um, you know, after maybe six months or a year, um, un, unless they're starting to think like a trucking company and work on backhauls, that like they show their lack of experience because they they don't think of it from the carrier carrier's well, perspective. Well, I'll tell you so what I did when I first came into this. What I did was. As many loads that came into my hometown, I was there and I met the driver, either picking up or delivering. I was throwing, they're like, who's this guy? I said, yeah, I'm the broker. I was helping them throw straps, pulling dunnage, and I would meet them and I would go to, I'd, it's funny, when I first started, because my world of Coca-Cola was all about being in the customer's eyes. In the world of Coca-Cola, when the president of the company came to Edmonton to visit, they didn't want to see us in the office. They want to see the customers. As account, when I was a district manager, they want you to develop your staff, your, your account managers to be better every single day. And that means being in the trade. So my thought process was when I got into this, I'll go out there and see customers. What I discovered though, to coordinate as a broker to see, because you can't just go into the place. You always have to have an appointment because they'll often say un, no unsolicited appointments. You have to have a connection there. So I, when I first started, I'd call people and you go and meet them. And it was hard because you're trying to coordinate your timings. You can get, if you're really aggressive, like six, eight, 10 calls in a day if you're lucky, whereas you can make 55 calls in a day on the phone. So what I discovered was through that process is that it's actually better as a broker to get the calls in, make the connections, even move a load. Once I move the load, then I can come down because I can put a face to a name. I can see the freight, take pictures of the freight, measure it out, understand the processes there, take a look at it. Like I did a, I did a project Oh, there was a big Walmart distribution center getting built just outside of Calgary, Alberta. So I hauled all the insulation out of Salt Lake City. So I became the guy, I, it was about 100 loads, 80 to 100 loads. I was moving freight at a higher price. My customer came in and says, this is, I gave them a number and they said, well, if you're here at this number, I'll give you all the loads. And they did. So what did I do? Because it was coming in, I literally drove and I put it because I know they're coming in with a flatbed. I drove, I gave, I wrote down the exact exit number, how many kilometers, and you're going to turn right, travel this many kilometers, turn right. And then once they got to the site, because every day where they needed the insulation was getting craned up and it was being moved around. But I created a template of instructions that were consistent and easy to replicate. And carriers knew that for that period of time, when there was stuff out of Salt Lake City coming back, they were calling me. Right? I had a, I had 10, 15 carriers in my back pocket and I didn't make a lot of money. I wasn't making huge bucks. There were, you know, 18, $1,900 loads charging the customer and I was only making a hundred bucks a load. So it's not like I was making tons, but I did it because of the grand scheme of my relationship with the customer and the grand scheme of the project and so forth. So that's where you have to, you know, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts and that's where a trucking company may have not been able to do it the same way I did that particular project. Well, but that's the definition, in my opinion, of a logistics professional. Mm. You know, the person that actually understands the logistical process this is going to take to accomplish and then gets it done. I mean, it's the same thing when we when we do stuff with our some of our direct customers that we work with. 
I'm right there in the truck with them. I mean, if a driver's driving, I'm going to ride with them. If the driver's not there to drive it, I'll drive it. I'll ride in there. I'll look exactly at what we're doing, shake the hands of the people I'm talking to and take time for them to look at it. Because if you don't do that, right, if you're not willing to do that and, 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 you know, and for this massive, the major brokerages that don't, this is a reason that carriers absolutely hate them. I mean, and, and it's because they don't know anything because they don't know what they're doing or because they don't know what they're getting themselves into. And it's like, well, your sales guy who just went and spent 30,000 on lunch, taking all the CEOs out. Yeah. Okay. He knows, but nobody else knows. And if you haven't, you know, and they don't bring it down. I don't think they disseminate the information just simply because it would overwhelm the 12 year old that they've got calling somebody, but it's like, you know, it, dude, I mean, after a while as a carrier dealing with guys that don't know their stuff, when you start knowing who knows their stuff, you stop looking around. I mean, I remember when I first opened my carrier, I was calling everybody, every broker, every freight, all this, all that. Now you can call me all you want. I'm going to forward you over to my dispatch team. I'm probably going to give you the wrong extension because I forgot already what it was. And I'm going to let you go. And I'm not going to worry about it. I don't want to be involved in the, the 57 you know spam emails I'm going to get today. You know, I want to work with the same handful of folks that I work with because I know they know what they're getting themselves into. And then if I call them, at 7 p.m. at night with a problem, it's because there is a problem and they understand that my phone should be on. I should see, be here's the other that. thing that I, my, my perspective is, and I'm sure a lot of you have done it where else and a broker says, okay, you talk about a raid and you say, well, I want to have to go back to the customer and check it out. Is I always take the time to make a courtesy call and call the carrier, whether they got the load or didn't get the load one way or the other, simply because I'm an agent. So I don't want my relationship or bad or good to and in fact i always want to try to leave my relationship with the carrier positive because i don't want that to impact on another future agent's load right maybe they have a you know unless this carrier is proven and that's what the benefit of having it i can when i get a when i'm working on a load if if i did post it like i said eric knows i don't post a lot but when i do if i get a call as we're discussing it i have my screen set up to look up that carrier and I'm looking up to see if there's notes because I have two systems. One tells them if they're set up, but then I'm checking internal notes. Are they accepted? Because we use RMIS. I'm checking. And if all of a sudden I see, and if I see there's issues, I don't go to management saying, hey, can I get this guy over? There's the odd occasion, but there's like one carrier that they actually let me use because it's a hazmat load. And I'm one of the few that knows how to do it from, you know, in this lane. And so they let me use this one carrier for that purpose. But in that's, you know, it's just, you build these pockets like, you know, and I mentioned how it's, you know, you got these fast moving tracker, you just move pocket, you build pockets. That's why the world of logistics is not just truckers. It's not just brokers. You can't just have one. You need them. You need them working in harmony. It's kind of like sales and marketing, right? Sales and marketing are actually two separate functions. Sales mm -hmm. is marketing is the information and the knowledge you present about your company that brings awareness to your company and people come to you. Now, once they're there, the sales process kicks right. in where you have the right to quote and hopefully attain their business to offer the services that you do. In, but they need to be working in harmony, just like sales and dispatch. They need to be working in harmony. All right. Hang on, hang on, hang on. But I just want to say for full transparency, I've loaded both toe piglet and cash for full transparency. All right, go ahead. Josh. So if they start talking about one of my loads, I'm jumping in immediately, but go ahead. I've, I've experienced some loads. See my trucker hat, you know? So, but anyways, um, speaking of logistics, I, I was wondering, um, uh, with logistics, kind of like a two-part question. Maybe everyone can answer if you're a truck driver before. Like, does logistics have to uh, kind of take into account what happens if 
if a truck breaks down and I still, you know, time is money. I need, I, I need to get this somewhere. And have you guys have any of you have, like, ever had a nightmare breakdown situation where it just, it just kept kind of di- up. Oh, Sage has got one. Yeah. I mean, dude, as a carrier, this is the number one fault for people that get their own carrier. This is the number one fault. If you get your own carrier as a one truck operation, you're single-handedly responsible for that entire transit. Mm-hmm. So everything you do on your truck is your problem. The handing of the bill of lading to get rescued should never be handed to another person rescuing you. It should be handed to your own people who are rescuing you. And you should have had protocol in place to make that happen or spare equipment sitting around ready for that very moment where that does happen. I mean, we have a hot shot right now that sits and all it does is sit and it is geared up, plated, tagged, insured, licensed. Everything's ready, aired up, ready to go. If somebody falls victim to you know a blowout or in the worst case we had was a guy that blew up his whole motor or and trailer brake <laughs> oh of course you know and then it's it's one of these things where you race off to it you recover your own asset you recover your own load you deliver that load you and in my mind if i'm doing a load for a broker the broker is my customer i don't care about the end user i don't care about the shipper i'm worried about the broker because the broker is the one that's paying me the broker is the one that sought me out for services that's who I owe my attention and detail to. So I'm not going to leave that guy hanging, looking and searching and, and rapidly scrounging around. Right. So as a carrier, you have to be able to do that. And I think that, you know, I've had it where I had a guy get stopped at a scale in Montana or Wyoming, and he was overweight on his axles. You're out of service right then and there. You're not moving. The only way you're going to fix that is either to a unload it, or figure out how you can rearrange it to make it work, make it legal, and then get on with your day. Well, their attitude was, up until it got to me, was, we're going to send another truck out to Wyoming. Are you nuts? Like, we're in Texas. We're not sending a truck to Wyoming unless we absolutely have to. Give me your scale ticket. And as soon as I look at the scale ticket, I can see, okay, all we need to do is move that last asset, you know, the last piece of equipment to the upper deck of the step deck. And as soon as we do that, we're going to be legally scaled. We'll be fine. So we had to hire out a wrecker. Wrecker had to come out with a forklift, fork it off, fork it in position, re-secure it. All of a sudden we met all of our weights and our load and we were legal technically, and then we could roll. And so, but if you're not thinking, if you're not a problem solver as a carrier, you're going to be out of business before it gets too long because a problem is coming. It's a matter of time. So uh, uh, tipping the scales could be about uh, more so balance as opposed to weight, because that's kind of just what I gathered from that is you kind of rearrange what's inside. Well, to- here, Josh, to give you a sense, a typical without getting into Eric's like super, you know, heavy loads. Yeah. And then you got like you take Alex where he has some trucks that he can only he's got 36 to 40 feet of deck that you can hand, handle up to 15,000 pounds legal. That's a lot of deck. OK, deck. now you take a typical 48 or 53 foot or dry van the legal is eighty thousand pounds gross okay so truck trailer fuel the driver's contents along with the weight of the trailer and then all the freight so what happens is if if the drivers like say you have something like brick something like brick or something heavy like that like heavy nuts and bolts if they come in there and you think well the skid the trailer is designed to can fit two skids side by side but the reality is if you actually put the skids straight in side by side, you're going to overweight what we call like there's the front axle, the drive axle and the trailer axles. So there's 80,000 pounds gross. So you can have a load where the driver says, yep, I'm 79,000. So he's a thousand pounds under gross, but his drives are overweight or his tandems are overweight or his 
you know, there's or steers are overweight. So you, it's the way that they load it can affect the, the weight distribution. So the reason for it is this brings in a whole nother avenue of logistics is infrastructure, because otherwise cities, if if all the trucks are driving with this weight not dispersed properly in a short time quickly, especially like a state like Texas, like Houston or California, where there's tons of trucks in the northeast, the roads would be destroyed. There'd be potholes, cracks, and you'd be forever fixing it. That's that's part of the, where it comes from. Yeah, it's, it's a bridge law that they some engineers calculated the distance between the axles and all this other stuff. And that's that's pretty much the logic behind it. So how would they calculate that? It's not just on a scale. Like, how do they know that one? Yeah. No, no, the drivers go on a scale and it, the scale will tell them when they drive on, they'll say the steer axles this. And then okay. when they drive on, the, right. the scale will tell them the weight of the three sets of axles on the truck. And then they see where they're at. So if they, if just like Cash said, if you're too heavy on one side, there's a couple things they can do. There's there's the fifth wheel, and they could slide the fifth wheel forward or back. There's the the axle tandems; they can slide forward or back. I'm van. And, and then you know that, and if it's on the steers, well, you got no choice. But basically, there are some things they can do without having to rework the the entire load. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of little intricacies that happen, and that's part of again, this goes back to the sales process right to the beginning what products do you load how do you typically load it so before you know a good broker if they're selling to a customer and it's a heavy product should understand how they do they chimney load how you know what do they do do they do a single double single double to disperse the weights uh, then how do they keep the skids from falling over because when you're single there's no support for them you know there's a lot of details that you got to get into to understand the process is there different weight limits per state or it's all pretty much the same? Um, well, for legal, it's the same. When you start to get over-dimensional and you start to order permits, that that changes per state. Interesting. So you've you got to count, you gotta count for fuel because I'll give you the story, Josh. You asked the question about a nightmare load. I one time had picked up a load of pipe from the States, United States coming into Canada. And this driver, because when you're in, you know, this was many, this is probably seven, eight years ago, but the, the fuel was always cheaper for Canadians when they were in the, in, you know, buying fuel here was always cheaper. So this driver saw, saw a really good deal and he loaded up his tanks and he forgot about the weight and he went through a scale and he was heavy because of the fuel. So he had to siphon out and he was selling, he was giving away his fuel to other drivers because he had no choice. He had to hire a company to help siphon out because it was, it was his mistake. He admitted he made a mistake. He just overfilled his tanks. I think, uh, oh, you had a situation like that, didn't you? Uh, well, yeah, I was, I was overweight very little, but, um, I think Josh, when your question was like, um, what do you do with like in a, in the event of a breakdown or something like that, right? Yeah, like yeah. how do you plan? And I think that's the, the responsibility of the first falls, I believe is what kind of what Holland cash was saying. The responsibility first falls on the carrier. Like if the carrier isn't priority prioritizing risk mitigation, in, in those events, like that needs to be a priority. And so even though an owner op, like maybe you went from a driver to a lease operator to an owner operator, it's like, well, once you go get your own MC, your thing shouldn't be to, Hey, I got my one truck. I'm good. No, your thing needs to be like, okay, what risk mitigation thing strategies can I put it in place? Maybe you join a network of tow trucks or whatever the case may be, like whatever it is, maybe you get a second truck on the road, or maybe you do have a spare piece of equipment that's available at your disposal, or you join a, a rental group, or you sign up for Penske. So they always have a lease for you when you need it. But like as a carrier, 
your like risk mitigation or like breakdown. I don't even know if it's risk mitigation, but like like it, your procedure in the event of a breakdown needs to be in place. And I, th I think that's kind of the answer. Um, I believe Hall and Cash gave. And I think to help further question. that, Alex, is that you know this also goes back to your if you're going to become an owner operator, it goes back to your business plan. You're, you know, chasing around the countryside for money can be great. You can make some money, no question about it. And you can have some, again, risk reward. But if you start staying in certain lanes, like even if you're running, say, from Seattle to St. Louis, Missouri, if you're running that lane fairly recently, like, you know, even if it's a bit of a trial, you know, say you have to go to St. Louis and then you went up to Iowa, then across back to Seattle, but you're kind of staying in a triangle. If you're staying in that corridor, as you go through different cities, you say, okay, let me see, if I was to break down, hypothetically, what would I do? Where's the, what's the tow trucks? How much are they charging? Can I get a cross dock? Is there a Penske dealership? Whatever it is, but that's the idea is that you have, right. I mean, sometimes you're gonna be stuck in the middle of a freeway while you're gonna have no choice but to pay. It's very expensive to tow, a, if you don't know, it's very, very expensive to tow a semi-truck. Right. <laughs> it, it's really expensive, so. I think one of the things too, cause I, I normally end around nine, but I didn't want to talk about this topic with everybody is, I feel that a lot of people, the, the reason a lot of people and carriers are leaving this industry is a couple of things. One we've talked about as toe is insurance. Two is some of the re ridiculous re regulations they have. It's overregulated. And in, in three, I truly believe it's bad brokers. It's bad. You know, that frustration that drivers just get tired of dealing with people. I believe that that is that if you want to fix this industry, the industry now, not just drivers staying with carriers. You you got to fix the insurance problem because some mega carriers they're self insured they can do what they want right. The little carriers get get hammered. You've got to fix some of the regulations that are that are hit with the CSA and the points and the warnings. A warning affects you the same way as a ticket does. Oh, a regulate like some of the regulations. Like the easy one to start with is how come Oregon has their own fuel per permit? How come Kentucky has their own fuel right. permit? Hold right. on. The whole point of a portion plates and IFTA was to solve those problems. How about just get everybody on, on the same dang page? You know what I mean? Like uh, that might be a good place to start. It's like good grief. All the height, like the height laws. I understand height laws are state specific, but it's like, okay, fine. Draw a line somewhere in the middle and like make it like, no, there's th four different height options apparently too. It's like, yeah, it's so, right. like, I would say that would help. Like, let's just get all the states in a, co a cooperative, like, type of consistency thing. correct yeah. right. something that's consistent to ease the burden of actually not like don't put the responsibility on the trucker of like hey you need to go out there and study each single state's thing because they're different it's like obviously right. that would be a nightmare it's like like talk about streamlining and making it more efficient there you go let's just make it easier to drive cross state lines well, but that that goes back to the same point right 97.4 percent operating less than 20 trucks and I bet you out of 97.4%, 97.3% don't talk to one another. You know right. what I mean? And so it's like, you know, again, you know, it's it's one of these things that with regulating an industry, it's it's a definition of California is what the industry is going to slowly become, which is overregulated, under-enforced. And then it's only enforced when we need a quota or financial government in our local sectors requires us to go and sting somebody because what they do when they're, when they're over there doing the quota, what do you think they're auditing? They're not auditing us. They're auditing their staff. Are you actually doing anything that we're paying you to do? How many times have you fallen asleep in the middle of the highway sitting in the median? You know, are you actually doing what we're paying you for? 
And it's funny because some of the states that are most restrictive about the trucks and they're most up the trucks back ends when these things happen, turn around and drive on the roads that are tearing the truck apart to begin with. So it's like, it's, it's one of these things that I think as far as fixing the industry, there's no one set fix. And if there was one set fix, they're never going to come to that agreement because that doesn't bring money that limits money. All these companies with these apps that you were talking about that everybody's using, I got 75 tracking apps. Well, because everybody makes money off the 75 tracking apps. What God forbid you go to one. If you went to one and simplified things to, Oh Jesus, we'd have to figure out who's going to make the million and who's not. And that's where it's not going to ever be that way. And so it's, it's one of those things that as far as the industry goes, the biggest thing I can tell anybody industry, and it doesn't matter if you're a driver, the carrier, the broker, it doesn't matter who you are. Educate yourself on every single facet of where the, what the industry is and what it does and what people do and what they don't do. Know what the responsibilities are. You know, if you don't know what a broker can and can't do as a carrier, you don't know how to fight back. How do you know to fight back? You don't know when Carmack comes in. You don't know when Carmack doesn't come in. You don't know when a shipper can get away with something or when they can't. You don't know because you didn't educate yourself well enough. You saw dollar signs and one sweet looking Peterbilt. And it's like, all right, I'm in the game. Well, you can get blown out. So One of the questions could, I wanted to, I want to answer this real yeah. question real quick. This uh, Jarrett Buttonhoff guy, uh, he said prior to the seventies regs governing brokers were so restrictive that few firms were willing to even try and gain entry into the industry. Do you think that the industry could survive without brokers? And I'm going to address that. I, I would address, I mean, he's obviously he's talking to us. I don't think you can. Um, I don't think the industry could. I think it I think it could try, but I think you would find out that shippers wouldn't know how to get a hold of a truck if they tried. Um, but I, am I wrong on that? Is there anybody else that's got a second opinion to that? We'll end on this one. Tell what you not this statement, but this this question will end on. Tell your what's your statement? Um, no, that that would that would make sense. It would either it, they they might be able to find trucks, but like we discussed a little bit earlier, it would probably be more expensive because then they'd have to have dedicated personnel. Now they're hiring a new training procedure. They're having to go through HR to make sure, like, hey, here's how the vetting process works for this. So it would get more expensive for them to find one one like truck to go move a load. So in in inevitably that would then make the market more less efficient, which then inevitably would make prices of products on our shelves higher. But what I was going to say and to maybe summarize is like um uh, whether you're a broker um you know or you're a carrier like me and Holland Cash, I think the like the the summary would be like pursue professionalism. That's maybe like the best way to put it. Like, even though maybe right now you're not where you want to be, the act of pursuing to be better as a carrier, as a broker, as looking into, hey, these this broker gets me good loads out of this area, reach back out to them, save their information, or hey, these carriers did a good job for me last time, let me save their info, or here's how the backhauls work. Like, just pursuing professionalism, I think is maybe the best way to, to sum up, I think, what we've been discussing this last hour or so. Absolutely. Uh, Rob, what you got? finishing up for the for the stream yeah i think so i think it's uh, at the end of the day is it's not just about the brokers when we talk about regulation there's no starting and start it's chasing a, a dragon's tail so to speak because i've always questioned it's 2022 why do we still have lumpers why why aren't the like why how come we haven't addressed the elephant in the room that these warehouses it's great because they're not paying for the staff it's it's a it's a contract you know, idea, right? There's nothing right. wrong with it, but it just adds another, like if you ask the drivers who deal with lumpers, sometimes it's an easy process, sometimes not. So the point is 
you can't just blame brokers. You can't blame carriers. You can't blame. It's a combination because sometimes when the shippers brokers say, "Hey, this is all I've got," it they are sometimes telling the truth. They're not sometimes that they're it's a, it's a, it's a line, but not in all cases because there are times when you could call up your local shipper down the street from you, thinking, "Hey, great, I got my truck. I see this. They move trucks all the time." You start talking to them, and then you find out, "Oh, that's what they're willing to pay me without a broker." Uh, that's not a sustainable business for me. So now what do you do? So just because you take away the broker doesn't mean that you're going to get more money in your pocket. Right. In fact, in some cases, when you're a small carrier, when you have a broker intermediate, when there's an issue, more often than not, the broker is going to pay you to settle out because sometimes when a shipper says, hey, I'm not going to pay you the, the driver wait time, I've often paid. If I felt, I look at both sides of the story, and if I felt that the customer says, well, the driver was late, so we're not going to pay for this, even though it took longer here, well, sometimes I'll pay the carrier that wait time and, and eat that and to keep my relation with the customer, and I'll take that knowledge, put a feather in my hat as far as, a, a you know, be prepared and plan. Maybe the next time I'm quoting, I'm going to try to, you know, quote it, knowing that, hey, I can... I can pay this carrier because this shipper is not willing to pay driver wait times, but I'll kind of figure it out, you know, like make a system in there. And uh, so, you know, I think that at the end of the day, professionalism, and if you're not, if you don't know how to do sales and marketing, learn how to do it. If you're not good on your computer skills, get good on your computer skills. And, and I've done the same thing. I've had to actually uh, pay a carrier a tarp fee I didn't know was there, and I got a picture of the load. And next thing I know, I'm like, "Why is that tarped?" And I've had to, you know, the, the carrier didn't ask for it, but to me, I I threw an extra fifty bucks for for half the tarp, and then went back to my customer and said, "Hey, you've got to tell me if you need a tarp because if that driver didn't have one, we'd be bringing in another truck, <laughs> so or he'd have to go buy one." So this is this is the stuff that happens that. Customers are, are not as, as organized as carriers as you guys think they are. They're truly not. Trust me. Um, but, yeah, that being said, uh, thank you guys for coming up on the panel. I, I think if we I have could. time. Oh, if I could, just to make a, a loose comparison, you know, uh, after I kind of you know got an idea of what brokers are, uh, being a musician, a broker kind of reminds me of a promoter. And the question was asked, you know, do you think the industry could survive without brokers? And it almost seems like, you know, there are some people who may not like brokers, just like there are some musicians who don't like promoters because it, it, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same with uh, brokers, how much they take, but some promoters do screw people over. But it's um, a lot of musicians are lazy. They're not going to find these shows and the venues aren't going to find, you know, uh, the list of five bands to put on that show. So that type of middleman is needed. So I do think, uh, Maybe maybe it could survive, but the industry is probably better off with that job fulfilled by somebody who's just honed into that responsibility. So That's my two one. cents. Yeah. One. Thank you, Josh. For joining. And I know both Josh is usually my co-host and we don't usually cover trucking, but he, he definitely wanted to come on and said, bring me on. I, I can do it. I can fight it. I can do it. And so I he got the trucker hat. He got the trucker hat. He drives a Nissan truck. He's in. Uh, and I that stuff. So. Besides that, yeah, thanks, guys, for joining the panel. And um, I'll have you all got on a, a, again if you want. It's up to you guys. Toe, you, you're welcome to come on now since you have you know the link. So it's Cash. Thanks for coming on. Rob, thanks for coming on. So I'm going to go Thank ahead. You, Can I and give a little shout-out to uh, 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 a real quick thank you, uh, Alex, Rob, and Cash for coming on. Thank you, Sage, for having me. And if you guys are around at 11 p.m., our new time, go check out Stuck in the Middle, YouTube.com. That's where we're doing our, our show. I want, I want to give a shout-out to Selena. 
Oh, uh, the late great Selena, and I'm gonna leave with a quote uh, that the goal isn't to live forever, uh, but to uh, to create something that will. So that's for my wife, your manager. Gotcha. Oh, right, nice. right. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 it. We're out of here. <laughs> On that note, we're out of here. See ya. Bye. All right. Let's rock on. Let's add this to stream. I, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna bounce you guys out here, and uh, I'm gonna actually end on. I'm gonna play this on this note. Let's play this. We're gonna do a little uh, up church here. Deck burn, deck burn, deck burn. The people. Every time I walk in there, gobbling in me. And I know the fucking mayor got you to do it for free. And up church drove here all the way from Tennessee. It's early in the morning and I'm climbing a tree. Just to watch the police while they're driving down the street. Then the neighbor called the damn 5 on me. Cause I'm yelling so loud on my iPhone 3. I said Pints fell to Ducky, the cops, the mayor, they're all trying to fuck me. And John Holbrook sent me a long report for me. Did you go to have to come look if you pints fell to Ducky? Dag bar ra ra ra. If you pints fell to Ducky, dag bar ra ra